Good morning. So glad to be worshiping with you here this morning and to be able to open up God's Word. Uh, excited about being in this uh, new gym and at Eastside. Uh, it's great to, to see so many familiar faces, some new faces as well, and wonderful to hear your voices singing. Uh, can't wait till we pack the place out and we can hear everybody's voice kind of just reverberating off of the walls. In fact, last night as we were uh, here setting up, that was a comment that I heard uh, on multiple occasions of how encouraged and, and wonderful it is to hear God's people sing praises to Him. So um, this morning... Uh, we begin a, a new sermon series, a new message series that uh, I think uh, will uh, follow on the hinges of the very first week when we talked about shining brightly this year, that that's something that the Lord wants us to do. And I think it begins by understanding our mission and vision as a church. And so... Um, uh, before we begin, let me pray for us, and then we'll just kind of jump right in. Father, thank you for our time together here this morning. Thank you for your word to us. And Lord, we ask that this morning, that even though we may be in a passage that is familiar to us, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us things that we need to understand so that we might apply these truths to our lives and be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. We have any uh, old classic movie buffs in here? I may have asked that question before. Just, just a few hands, that's sad. Uh, I love old movies. Uh, I love the black and whites and things. And, um, and I'm gonna talk about one here in, in just a, a minute, but it was predicated on a book that was written by Lloyd C. Douglas in 1929. And uh, the book's theme is loosely taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where Jesus warns his hearers um, to not practice their righteousness in front of men in order to be seen. If you do that, you have your reward in full. Troy, I think you'd like this movie if you haven't seen it. Um, but rather to do it in secret so that your Father who is in heaven, when he sees he will reward. And that's really the greatest reward that you can get. The book was made into a movie in 1929, um, starred Robert Taylor, I believe, and then again in uh, 1954. All right, here's some names, some of you older folks, Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson. Okay, those were, those were the individuals. And let's see, I think I may even have a picture here. Are we... We've got it up on screen already, so you can kind of see that. Um, in the movie, Rock Hudson plays a rich playboy by the name of Robert Merrick. And uh, he was involved in a boating accident and was near death. And he needed a special machine to save his life, a resuscitator, I think is what they called it. And there was only one available at, at this particular lake anywhere, and it belonged to a gentleman by the name of Dr. Phillips, who was kind of like a local hero, a philanthropist. He was a generous man, a good man, well-respected. And unfortunately, at the same time that Merrick has his accident, Dr. Phillips suffers a massive heart attack. And he too was in need of the machine, but it's in use 
saving the life of this rich playboy, he decided to take his speedboat out and go joyriding. And so Dr. Phillips dies. And everybody who knows him mourns his loss, and they also uh, regard with contempt uh, Robert Merrick. After his recovery, Merrick feels guilty. He leaves a party drunk, he crashes his car, and he ends up at the home of Edward Randolph, a well-known artist and friend of Dr. Phillips, who tells him that the true reward, true reward is only found in giving and helping others in secret. Listen to what he tells Merrick here. I've got it up here on screen, I believe. Once you find your way, you'll be bound It will obsess you, but believe me, it will be a magnificent obsession. So Merrick decides to give it a try. He tries to follow in the footsteps of Dr. Phillips, but unfortunately, he causes another accident. And believe it or not, this time it involves Dr. Phillips' wife, Helen. And Helen is hit by a car, and as a result of that, she becomes blind. Well, you can imagine how uh, Merrick feels after this. The, the guilt is just compounded on him. So he is determined to mend his ways, and he soberly commits to becoming a doctor. He wants to, he wants to carry on the legacy of Dr. Phillips. And he wants to do it in such a way that people don't know that it's he that is helping them. Well... In the process, he falls in love with Helen. But Helen disappears. And many years go by. And Merrick actually becomes a well-respected and successful brain surgeon. Finding Helen and restoring her sight becomes for him an all-consuming passion. You might say it was a part of his magnificent obsession. So I'm not going to tell you how the movie ends. But I'll tell you, if you want to find out how the movie ends, you'll need to buy the DVD because you can't stream it anywhere. Believe me, I tried because I wanted to watch it again this week. Webster's Dictionary defines obsession as a persistent, disturbing preoccupation with an often unreasonable idea or feeling. Now, I believe that definition's true, but I don't think it's full. Now, I realize people have obsessions of many kinds. You know, we can obsess about a great many things. Um, We can obsess about our health. We can obsess about our weight, about our appearance. Um, boys can obsess about girls. Girls can obsess about boys. People can obsess about getting married, gaining wealth, possessions. Um, you can obsess over your favorite sports team. Right, Trevor? Wherever he is. Okay. Uh, or playing video games. Oh, Zachary's not here, so I can't pick on him. Or food. Right, Paul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and the latest technology. Wait a minute. That's two for me. Latest technology. Um, you can obsess over these things. But obsession doesn't have to be a bad thing. 
It really depends upon what is the object of your obsession and what is the motive behind the obsession. What is it that we are pursuing and why are we pursuing it? There are some things that I think we ought to be obsessed about. We ought to be obsessed about doing good, about being kind, about loving our spouse and treating others with respect. But it got me wondering, is there anything that we would consider a magnificent obsession? Something worthy of all we are and all we have. And I think before we answer that question, it might be helpful just to even think about the word magnificent for a moment. The word literally means strikingly beautiful, impressive, or excellent. Some of the synonyms for this word are exceptional, epic, grand, glorious, majestic, noble, wonderful, stunning, and marvelous. So you take that word, you put it together with obsession. A marvelous, magnificent obsession. I think for every Christ follower, there is only one thing that is worthy of being a magnificent obsession. You can probably sum it up in the person of Jesus Christ, but, but Jesus helps flesh even that out in what is wonderfully known as the great commandment and the great commission. Our magnificent obsession is simply to love God, love people, and make disciples. There is no purpose, there is no goal, no aim in life more magnificent than this. And that's why we exist. That is our mission as a church. And we, over the next four weeks, are going to explore that piece by piece. And we're going to see how God wants us to respond to it. Because as I have said many times, God has not given us his word merely to inform us, to give us big heads, but to enlarge our hearts and to make us obedient. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 12. If you don't, I'll have the scripture here up on screen in a minute. Mark chapter 12. Verse 28 says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, that is Jesus, answered them well, asked, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So you have to kind of picture it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were debating and then a little bit later... Um, this lawyer or scribe um, who Matthew tells us uh, was a, a Pharisee, he comes to Jesus and he respectfully asks him, what is of such fundamental importance that it is central to everything else? I mean, that's a big question. Jesus, what is so important 
that it is absolutely foundational to everything else. And Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy 6, and then he adds from Leviticus 19. Deuteronomy 6, by the way, is known as the Shema um, in, um, in Judaism. But in short, Jesus answers, answers that the greatest commandment or the one that is most important is to love God and love people. That's the greatest commandment. In fact, we read later in the, in the epistles that, that love is the fulfillment of the law. That the whole love, uh, the whole law can be fulfilled in one word, love. Now, Mark adds a few things that Matthew does it, that it, I, I find interesting. And in verse 31, you see it, where he says, There is no other commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. So, Jesus is linking these two loves together in a singular Commandment. Now, Matthew refers to them as commandments, but, but here Mark says there is no commandment greater than these. It's as if Jesus is saying that these are two sides of the same coin. Now, what's interesting is, humanly speaking, it's possible for us to love people and not love God. But it is not possible for us to truly love God and not love people. You see that uh, in John's first epistle, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. He doesn't really love God. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment that we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So next week, we're going to look at what it means to love our brothers, to love our sisters, to love our neighbors. But this morning, I want to spend the rest of our time um, talking about what it means to love God. So we're going to go back to the text that we were looking at. And I want to draw out a, a few things, a few words here, call them to your attention. Um, Jesus says, the greatest commandment, the most important thing is to love the Lord your God. Well, in our culture, um, love is not so easily understood. It has taken on a lot of different meanings. Most obviously in our culture, love is synonymous with sex. That's not what Jesus was talking about. In fact, he uses a word, and in the Greek, it's agapao, which comes from the Greek word agape, which I'm sure you've heard before. And it is the kind of love that most often is spoken of when it comes to God's love for us. It is the highest of all the loves mentioned in the Greek New Testament. There are four words in the Greek that are used for love. And agape is the greatest of them all. And even though it is the kind of love that God has for us, it is also the kind of love that he desires for us to have for him. That's why Jesus uses this word here, that we should agapao, God. And the word, to give more clarity to, means to esteem, to have great affection for, 
It is a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. And it is centered in the will of the lover, not in the object being loved. It's volitional. It is a decision of the will to act lovingly towards someone else. And this is the kind of love that God desires that we have for him. So the question then becomes, how do we do it? How do we have that kind of love for God? Sometimes I'm just, it's, I, you know, I don't even have the warm fuzzies for him. And God wants me to have that kind of love, his kind of love. Well, I think Jesus gives us at least part of the answer right here in the text. And in giving us these, these answers, he's pointing out that human beings are unbelievably complex. He tells us here that we are to love him with every aspect of our being. For he says, first, we are to love him with what? All our heart. All our heart. Now, this is another word in, in our culture that when we think of the, you know, I love you with all my heart, we're, we're talking about feelings. We're talking about emotions. But in the ancient world, they understood the heart far differently than we do. And so to understand this passage, we have to understand what they thought, what came to their mind when they heard the word heart. For them, the heart was the center of their being. It was the control center of their entire life. That's why Jesus in Luke chapter 6 says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart is the control center of our entire life. He also says we're to love him with all our soul. And the soul is the immaterial part of our being. Our bodies live because God breathed into us the breath of life. And although the word heart and soul are two different words, it really speaks about that immaterial part of who we are as distinct from the physical body. When you think about the, the soul, it's, it's what makes you you. And so when God says we're to love him with all our souls, we're, we're to love him with all we are. Everything that he has made us to be, that is what we offer up to him. He also says we're to love him with all our mind. And the mind, of course, has the faculty of thought and understanding, especially of moral understanding. The, 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 the mind, well, that's what we use to engage in thought. That's what we use to reason, to think, and I love this about Christianity. We're to love God with all our mind. Christianity is not a religion where we check our brains at the door. Sometimes people will, will, will say that. They'll, they'll, they'll say, yeah, it's, it's all about faith. But, you know, Well, it, it is all about faith, but our faith is based on evidence. It's based on historical fact. We're not taking a blind leap in the dark. 
We're not choosing to believe something because we want to believe it. We believe it because it's true. It happened. Jesus really came to earth. He really died on a cross and he really rose from the dead. But we worship him, not just with our heart, not just with our soul, but with our minds as well. This is why we study God's word. That's why you're here right now sitting, listening, hopefully being attentive to God's word. Because you, in order to love God, you have to know God. And the only way you get to know God is by being in his word, which is the revelation that he has given us about him and about ourselves. God has revealed himself to us in his word, and through the study of his word, we come to know him. And by coming to know him, we come to love him. I like uh, the fact that this year, my wife and I are, well, it'll, it'll be a while, it'll be September, but we're going to celebrate 28 years of marriage come September. And, and I can tell you, and I've said it before, I love my wife more now than when we first wed. And I thoroughly enjoy, delight in getting to know her more and more with each passing day. Um, over, over the last few years, one of the new things that I've learned about her is that she has a tremendous capacity for love. And not for me, although that's true, but I see it as she works with the residents at Violet Springs. These senior citizens, some of which with dementia, some of which with physical issues, some just, just old age, and we'll all get there. But the compassion that she has for them, the passion she has to work and to serve them is mind-blowing. And I hadn't seen that up until the last few years because she wasn't in that field. But God has directed her there. And the more I see that, the more I learn, the more reason I have to love her. And I do love you, just in case I didn't tell you today. But the same is true about our relationship with God. We should desire to know God so deeply that we engage our minds in learning more about him. The more we know him, the deeper we get to know him, the deeper we come to love him. So I just thought at this point, maybe it'd be good, just give you some brief points of application, okay? Sometimes these are just little things. Bring your Bibles on Sunday mornings. Don't just rely on the technology. Open your Bibles, flip the pages, read, compare. Maybe you've got a different translation that we're using here. Maybe that will help you understand the text better. Maybe you can turn to uh, other passages of Scripture that are related to it. Maybe you have a study Bible and it has some notes in there. Bring your Bibles. That'll help. Read Scripture daily. Learn how to study the Bible some people don't know how to study the Bible. They don't even know where to turn in the Bible. Ask someone to help you. I'll be glad to help you do that. Any of the elders, life group leaders, you know, deacons, we'll, we'll be glad to help you learn how to study the Bible. Listen to sound teaching, and I underscore the word sound, because there's a lot of unsound teaching 
that is out there permeating on the web everywhere. Process truth together in community. If you're not in a life group, I, I, I urge you, plug into one. Plug into one and do life together. If you're not in a D group, consider being in a D group as well, a discipleship group. Read books. Read across lots of different spectrums uh, of knowledge because all truth is God's truth. And we can learn about him from reading all sorts of things. I especially like reading theology. I like reading philosophy. I like reading the biographies of great saints that have gone on before to, to, to kind of almost capture the love that they had for their Lord and Savior and to marvel at how they served him and to emulate them. Now, having said all that, I probably need to make a little disclaimer, and that is some of you probably need to put away other books. You probably need to put away the podcasts all the sermons that you listen to. And you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to get into the book, the book. And you need to let God speak to you through his word. The reading of many books, as you know, Solomon tells us, it's endless. Rather, fear God and live. Keep it simple. That's what we need to do. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The last word Jesus uses here is the word strength. We are to love him with all our strength. This is the physical, mental, emotional, and volitional effort we put forth to love God. And sometimes it takes all of our strength to do it. Because sometimes our bodies are tired. Sometimes we're working long days Sometimes we're sick. There are all sorts of things, trials and persecution, things that come at us that make it very easy for us to forget, to take our eyes off of Christ, to get them onto our circumstances. And, and then, of course, we begin the slow drift away from God. We need to love him with all of our strength. With all that we have, we hold nothing back. We give him our all. We give him our best. Now, having said that, all of these words, heart, soul, mind, strength, are helpful in understanding how we are to love God. But I, I believe what Jesus was really trying to get at by listing these words is to tell us that we can't, love him with only a part of ourselves. For instance, just our mind or just our heart, our soul, our strength. We, it, all of them have to come together. We, I, I think Jesus meant for us to understand them collectively as a whole, that we love him with our entire being. So this raises another question. What does that look like practically? Because really this week as I was thinking about what does it mean to love God? I mean, it's, it's almost hard to get past emotion. In fact, I think one of the most deadly curses that come upon Christians is this constant pursuit of some experience or some feeling when, when it comes to loving God. 
because they don't feel it. They don't sense it. Sometimes we, we won't use the word feeling or emotion or like that, but we may say things like, you know, I just feel so far from God, or I just want to be closer to God. It's, 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 it's like, well, I, I know how much closer do you get than him living in you? We're not talking about feelings and emotion here. God has laid out a plan for us to know him and to love him. We just have to follow the plan. So what does it look like practically? Well, Jesus obviously gave us some answers here, but there are, I think, three simple ways that we can express our love for God. And again, this is not rocket science. First is time. Have you heard that saying, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. I think this has been the most difficult thing for me in my Christian life. I have not had a problem reading God's word studying God's word, preparing messages, lessons, teaching, reading devotionals, this, that, and the other thing. But you can do all of those things and not really be giving God time. It becomes something that just you check off your list. To love anyone requires that you spend time with them. We were created to be in relationship with God, and that requires that we spend time with him. So how do we do that? I think we do that by, yes, making time to be in the word. It, it, you, can't, you can't do it just when, if I have time. When I have time, I'll get to it. You actually have to carve out time in your day to be in God's word, unhurried time to be in God's word. And, and related to that, we need to do the same for prayer. And often, those two things go together. When I read God's word, I, I begin by praying, God, as I open your word this morning, would you speak to me? Would you take these words that I'm about to read? Would you illuminate my mind? Would you give me understanding so that I might know you better, that I might love you more, et cetera, et cetera? Just an example. And oftentimes, as you're reading through Scripture, you'll come to commands or sins that you need to confess. And, and suddenly, this text not only becomes a way in which we get to know God and understand God, but it becomes a way for us in which to interact with him and to commune with him. And we can make scripture a prayer to God, our personal prayer to God. We should engage in personal and corporate worship. We, we, we should not wake up on Sunday morning and say, I'm too tired, go to church. I'm five minutes late, why bother? If, if to love God, if part of it means we need to give him time, we need to give him time. And quality of time comes out of quantity of time. You just don't say, hey, you know, today, this week, I'm gonna spend quality time uh, with God. Any more than I would say, hey, this week, uh, on Thursday, I'm gonna spend quality time with my wife. Now, I can plan it out and everything else, but you know what? If I'm not spending time with her on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 
Friday, Saturday, whatever. When Sunday rolls around and I got that scheduled quality time there with him, it's not going to mean as much to her. It may feel to her like it's something I have to do. We need to learn to be alone with God. And this is a discipline that's very difficult for people. But practice solitude. Solitude. Being alone. For for you extroverts out there, that's going to be hard. It's hard to be alone with God. You know, I I love my kids very much. I'm kind of glad they're not here this morning. Um, But uh, I I love them. I love being together as a family and everything else. But... um, If I'm to have a healthy marriage with my wife, I have got to carve out time for just us. I cannot have the kids with us at all times. She's my first priority in our home. I have to take care of her. I have to love her. And as much as I love you, my first priority is my relationship with God. I and to love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. He comes first. The second way that I think that we can express our love to God is in service. Jesus made it abundantly clear that the Father's motive in sending him to earth was his great love for us. And Jesus tells us that love is is best demonstrated in service. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we too demonstrate our love for God and for others through service. Remember a while back I shared with you about Jesus washing uh, the disciples' feet. And um, after he had washed their feet, he tells them in John chapter 13, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. So just as God's love was demonstrated in serving us, we as Christians who follow in his footsteps, are also to serve one another. Now, when I was thinking about, you know, okay, that's good, serving one another, I can understand that, but how do you serve God? I mean, I thought, okay, I um, I, I can preach his word, I can, I just... All of a sudden, it was like drawing a blank. How, how do you serve God? And then we went to dinner the other night. And as I was sitting there, the, the waitress comes up. And, um, you know, she, uh, she asks us what we would like to drink. And then she comes back and brings us our waters. And then uh, she, you know, says, uh, are you ready to order? And she takes our order. And she leaves. And, you know, she brings us, um, it was a, a jar of 
of really yummy pickles that she put on the table. I've never had, I've had bread, you know, put on pickles. I didn't understand, but it was really good. Pickles on the table. And, um, and then, you know, the salads came out. She brought out the salads. And then, of course, the, the main meal, the entree, she, she brought that out. And then she kept coming back and checking with us to make sure everything was okay. She kept filling up our waters and, and everything else. And I, and I thought, this, this is what Jesus is talking about. And I, and I thought, no wonder they call them servers. She was serving us. But then I was thinking, okay, but it's not like, you know, I'm going to be giving Jesus, you know, a drink of water, you know, or, or handing him a meal or something, you know what I mean, right? Or, or, or am I? Or can we? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells them that at the end of the age... There's going to come a day when God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he talks about what happens to the goats, and it's not a pretty picture. And then he speaks about the sheep, and listen to what he says here. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So I guess it is possible for us to give Jesus a cold glass of water, to feed him, to clothe him, to visit him, to care for him. And we do so by doing it to the least of our brethren. We serve God in many ways, but perhaps the most common and the most overlooked way that we serve God is by serving one another. I don't know if we often connect the two. In addition to the things that we have just read here. Here are a few more practical suggestions in order to serve one another. Be present. Be present. As much as possible, be with the people of God. Whether it be here on Sunday mornings, in life group, attending D group, on a ministry team, whatever it is, do not underestimate the power of your presence. People feel it. People are encouraged by it, and sometimes they are discouraged when you're absent. That in itself is huge. Participate. Don't just show up for worship. 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 Sing. 
Rejoice. Raise your hands. Clap. Whatever it is. But engage. Participate. When you do, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the comments about people singing, there's something about it. When I'm sitting up front here and I hear your voices kind of just bounce, coming from this way, bouncing off the wall, hitting me this way here, I am greatly encouraged. It strengthens me. Because, and it's not just because you got pretty voices. It's the truth that we're singing about. It's the content. It's the words that I need to hear over and over and over. Contribute to the life and the health of the church by being responsive and making contributions where you can. Um, I would say give financially to, to, to the ministries of this church, to the missionaries that we support. That is a way of serving. Discover and use your spiritual gifts to build up the body. Some of you may not even know what your spiritual gifts are. We'll be glad to help you discover them. But here's the beautiful thing about serving. It doesn't require a degree. It doesn't require, you know, uh, uh, advanced training and all sorts of things. All it really requires is a servant attitude, a willingness to serve. And we should also serve people outside of the church. Use your natural talents and abilities to be a blessing to others. Um, Sandy's dad loves making things out of wood and to give them to people. I mean, I mean we have so much furniture that her dad has, has made, but that's kind of like his love language. That's what he does. I know, is Kelly here, Kelly Ignazuski? Um, you know, Kelly, uh, oh, she's in the nursery. Kelly loves to create and uh, send out note cards to people as a, and writing fairly lengthy notes in them to people. Um, and uh, Michelle's, Michelle in here, Michelle Kruger, she, she loves, I think, making and delivering bread and talking to people. I mean, she just loves it. It's her way of, of serving. So use your natural talents and, and abilities. Find a genuine need and meet it. Visit those who are sick or shut in. Provide meals or go to the grocery store for someone who's in quarantine. That'd be nice. Um, you got a neighbor out of town? Take care of their, their pets. Um, feed them. Take them for a walk. Let them out to go potty. Uh, take out their garbage. Uh, mow their lawn. Um, I have a neighbor who um, I'm, just, I'm thankful for. Uh, I do not know if he knows the Lord but I, I know he kind of has a servant's heart um, because every time we have gotten uh, in the past a decent snow, um, he makes sure as my sidewalks are cleared. He's got a snowblower, so there's a little bit of fun involved in it too, I guess. But anyway, but he, he clears off my sidewalk for me. Uh, you can do that even if people are not on vacation. You can shovel off their, their, their sidewalks. Volunteer at hospitals, homeless shelters, food banks, serve on the PTA, the HOA, or any other number of things. Find ways to serve other people. And in so doing, you will be serving God. And when you serve God, you are expressing your love for God. The last thing I'm going to mention here this morning and it's a much shorter point, and that is we express or demonstrate our love for God in our obedience. And this really kind of just 
wraps everything up in a nice, neat, you know, uh, box, if you would. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in his first epistle, John says something similar. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I remember what the prophet Samuel said too back in his day. He said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. What does God want more than the raising of your hands and the singing of the songs, the money that you give? He wants your heart. He wants all of you. And one of the ways that we demonstrate and express our love for him is by obeying him. That's the true test. So, having said that, let's be honest. None of us obey perfectly. All of us have our own issues, our own besetting sins. We all fall short in many ways. Praise God for His grace that covers a multitude of sins. His love covers a multitude of sins. But even though we sin by failing to do what we ought and doing the very things that we shouldn't, we should always strive to obey God. By, by His grace and with His power, we can do that. But I think we have to be intentional about it. I don't think we can just kind of go through life and not think about the areas in our life that we have not yet submitted to him. I think we have to think about it. And so this week, I want to challenge you to identify an area or two in your life that you need to submit to God in holy obedience. Um, maybe... Maybe when you stop to think about yourself, maybe one of the things that you can identify is um, I have not allowed the peace of God to rule in my heart. I have not obeyed that command. I have not been thinking about that which is good and pure and lovely and wholesome and of good repute. I haven't been focusing on that. I haven't been fixing my eyes on Jesus. I've been fixing my eyes on something else and I need to get my eyes onto Jesus. Maybe it's your eyes are focused on images that you shouldn't be seeing and you need to turn from fleshly pleasures and lusts and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Maybe it's a recognition that you need to be more generous than you are. Less self-centered. It could be all sorts of things. I just want to encourage you this week. God, would you reveal to me an area or two where I can obey you more, better 
where I can bring my life into conformity with your word because I want to love you. I don't want to just simply say, God, I want to obey you. I want to obey you in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. Lord, I want to be more like you. I dare you to do that. And then let me dare you to do one more thing. Ask somebody to pray for you as you do it. Ask them to hold you accountable to what it is that you're going to set out to do. So as we conclude, let's see how the the lawyer responded to Jesus after he told him all these things. In verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other beside him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Folks, this is our magnificent obsession. To love God, love people, to make disciples. We'll talk more about those other two things in the coming weeks. But once you discover this to be true, you'll be bound. It will obsess you. But believe me, it will be a magnificent obsession. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you to be with your people, to lift up our voices in song. Lord, we do not want our Christianity to consist merely of what we do here on Sunday mornings. Lord, we want to take you to the world. We want to let our light shine in such a way that all might see our love for you, our love for others, and be drawn to you. Lord God, thank you for your word for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.